Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to VO Booth Besties. I had cell phones balancing and intro music pulled up and Twisted Wave and trying to make all this work, and we did it. Like our intro said, we're here to help working voice actors get your most important questions answered by industry pros who know. Each week, we'll have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. Speaking of which, we want to be sure you're all current on the awesome speakers we have coming up and other exciting opportunities. So we've created a weekly email newsletter, and if you'd like to be added, simply swing by our website, boothbesties.com, and shoot us a message with your email. And lastly, if you haven't joined our VO Booth Besties Facebook group, join us there too. Now a quick bit of housekeeping. In order to stay on topic and get as many of your questions answered as we can, we're actually going to keep hand raising turned off. However, the chat will remain open, and this week I will be monitoring that. As you can see, oh, wait a minute, Jen Tifoni's listening, but she's on the road. So we are joined by our guestie, Amy Stafford, today. Now, without further ado, let's meet our guest. Over to you, Amy. Hey, hey, friendly friends. How's everybody doing? Thank you, NJ. This week, you guys, we are so excited to be joined by the incomparable OG unicorn herself, Jen with a double N, Henry. Okay, that's okay. fun. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, a little about Jen. Here we go. Let me tell you guys about her. I'm sure you know all this, but we'll tell you anyway. Jen is a 52-year-old rock star who lives in Hyannis, Massachusetts. Just learned that today. She enjoys short walks to the fridge, long afternoons parked in front of YouTube or Disney Plus with her two kids, affectionately called Things One and Two. And if she's feeling froggy, she loves to jump in on some karaoke. Though she doesn't claim singer status, she is all about making a joyful noise. To hear her tell it, the start of her VO career is easily regarded as lunacy. Really, it was a terrible idea no sane person would have approached as she did. We're not so sure about that, and we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't let her tell it. But Jen is continuously stoked that she gets the opportunity to do the thing, make friends, earn a living, and then if she's lucky, that occasionally shiny hardware happens. She attributes being here for any of it to learning how to, in her coined phrase, make my baggage my boop. So Jen, why the lunacy? What made your journey in VO different than others? Well, I don't know that it was so different than others in terms of um, taking a leap. I had two in diapers, was on unemployment, and decided that there was not going to be an alternative option. And I, I had this, I guess it was really crazy because I had the, I have the skill set to, to make a comfortable living with a stable paycheck in, in other industries. And for some reason, I mean, I know the reasons I just decided that VO was going to be it. And then just jumped man food stamps was on wick and diapers are expensive but i i did the thing anyway because i knew that i i had to be home with my kids and because they were little miracles to begin with and so that was sort of to me it felt like spitting in the eye of the universe they gave me these these little creatures that theoretically weren't supposed to happen and did and I just couldn't see staying in the regular workforce and you know working uh working in a medical office or even a even a radio station uh, full-time and have them in in daycare or whatever the case may be not that there's a thing in the world wrong with that it just wasn't the the choice that felt good for me personally and so I decided this is it and 
yeah, well, it just when I think about it and and anytime I tell like, wow, that was freaking nuts. Um and and in many ways, I'm sure a lot of well, I, I had people more than happy to remind me that it was uh, selfish and irresponsible and um that I was doing the right thing and what in the world could I possibly have been thinking in in taking this pursuit and deciding that, you know, this was the way it needed to be and the way it was going to be. And then I hit the financial success of being able to cut up WIC checks and cut up the food stamp card. And then came the, uh, I, I call it cookies on the front of the belt. You know, that was, that was financial success. That was financial liberation for me. Um, cookies got to go first, which is just an analogy for anything that wasn't bare bones essential. Um, right. Like being able to order guacamole with your meal at a Mexican restaurant. That's, that's uh, what I no. knew I hit the big time. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. Exactly. When it's not, it, it's not when, when a big night out isn't things that didn't cost more than 99 cents or a dollar 29, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and still keep every, like the, the kids will never understand the kids will never know how much money we didn't have. Um, right. not because I am the, the best homemaker. It's just managed and made it. And it it just has everything to do with everybody that surrounds us every single day in this industry. And that's, that's not just blowing smoke or trying to suck up. It really is far more reflection on the people that surround us than me. I mean, yeah, I, I do the thing. I had the basic skills. I come from a radio background, so I brought production with me. I knew what end of a microphone to address. But that doesn't always translate to VO. It took me no. Eight, it took me eighteen months to get the DJ stink off of me, and uh, and then start working with some regularity. And it's been it's been freaking awesome, man. Well, I yeah. Mean, it's, once it stopped sucking entirely, it was it, <laughs> it became awesome because it sucked entirely for quite some time. <laughs> right. I know just what you mean. Yeah. And it, I yeah. love. I love how you referenced the industry and how supportive it is because you have been an amazing coach for me and a cheerleader, but not, not only that you're when I was lost and lonely at the one voice conference last year, because not only was that my first voiceover conference, it was my first anything without my family and kids in 15 years, like I, anything. And you introduced me to Jen Greenfield and the rest is history. So, um, and, and by the yeah. same token, you were such a beautifully grounding force for me in that environment and like, a comforting, like a home base, if that makes any sense, because you'll be shocked to know that sometimes I can sort of spin off the rails and flit. Um, no, no. and you just have this way about you that is grounding. I, I want to say very, very maternal because that seems obvious. But My kids will in, tell in you the, I ground them too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was a little afraid of that, to be honest with you. If I, you know, if I, if I push too far past the envelope of uh, bad choices, that, uh, that was it. That was it for me. My brain, my braid would have been entirely too tight. Yeah. No, no. But honestly, what, what has stood out to me the most about you? Number one, that you just are like this big warm hug that wants to give everybody a hug virtually and physically, but also how important mental and emotional health is to you. And you're such an advocate for it um, in the community. But even more than that, you teach how to use it and flip it on its head and really dig into who you are and how how did you, when did you realize that voiceover and like your personal mental struggles could cohabitate? I got to a point and I can't, I can't give exact that one aha moment. Um, in, entirely. Uh, they had, 
they had to cohabitate. Um, dating back pre-voiceover, when my oldest was born, the the reality became blatantly apparent that I couldn't be I couldn't be batshit crazy and and be a good mom. Not in the not in the the toxic way. I mean, there's good crazy and then there's toxic crazy. And I I definitely despite having sort of started to weed through some of the toxic crazy when my son was born a lot of things it was almost as though at the risk of making it sound too cosmic it was almost as though just this strip of grime got peeled away and I could see things in ways that I couldn't see them before uh, starting with just the the perspective of hearing my son cry and instead of being frustrated or upset for myself the notion occurring to me wow it's gotta suck to be born how horrible is that of course he's crying and that sort of was an initial stepping stone in in a change of perspective and understanding that there is more than one perspective often when we look at things and moreover that we have a choice so we can choose to look at something positive negative or neutral some things and some occurrences in life in our day or anything else aren't positive or negative they just are but the way we choose to process them, the next five seconds following them um, are what actually defines the thing or the event. Did, did a bad thing happen? Did a good thing happen? Sometimes just a thing happens and it doesn't have to be anything. But what we choose to do with that moment, we carry on not only into our day or into the next moments, but very often the moments of the people we come in contact with immediately after. But understanding and realizing that we have a choice minute to minute of how we're going to filter things. And we, in fact, are in control of that. So the opportunity came in a session with David Rosenthal to understand how deep an impact that can have on us in a performance sense. I had, uh, I was really full of myself too. <laughs> I was all proud. I was working a micro, a micro scene that I had written and I was all in it. So naturally it's going to be perfect because it's mine and I did it. And so yay me. No, no, Jen. No, that's, that's, it didn't happen that way. Um, the scene was basically a commando unit. I grabbed for low-hanging fruit because that's sort of a role that I'm, I'm comfortable with. Um, going into, I'll, I'll spare you a lot of the details, um, you know, just going into to rescue a, an endangered child, right? So I had the scene all mapped up on my head, and I'm hyper-visual. So, like, I could smell the smoke from the gunfight leading into this uh, shipyard and I could see myself inside of the scene flinging open this door to this container or storage room and there sat uh the the child that that we were looking for that we gone had gone to engage and so I, I did my thing and I said my lines I delivered my lines I was all proud of myself of course because you know actor and and then realized that he, he, he pulled me back from it and told me to tell me about the, the person that we were there to rescue. And I realized I didn't see a, a face on the person. I, I didn't see the child. I saw a figure. I saw what sort of vaguely represented in my head. So here I could literally smell gun smoke, but I could not, I didn't have a clear picture of what was happening right in front of me. And I sort of went through the mental Rolodex 
of putting this character together, the good old, who are you talking to? Um, and questions like, what did they do immediately upon hearing you? Oh, okay. Um, well, they looked up. What was your expression? Like, okay, well, actually odd. It was, it was kind of despondent. It, it wasn't startled, oddly enough. And then in the back of my head, I started hearing Sean Cassidy. And I'm like, oh, Sean Cassidy. Oh, crap. I was looking at myself at 10 years old. I was looking at a kid who, with, without, you know, divulging too much, didn't want to have a conversation with mom at 10 o'clock at night, you know, after, after the friends had gone home from the tea party. And, uh, but had the door to my room opened up, I, there wouldn't have been startled. There wouldn't have been whatever. It just would have been, okay, whatever, you know, say what, say what you're going to, now what? And I realized in that moment that I literally was taking myself out of that situation. And in that same moment and in that small action of performance, realized that I had taken back control of that narrative. I had taken back control of that baggage, that, that moment, those feelings of vulnerability, of mm. feeling disaffected, of a, a, almost a sense of disenfranchisement through this character that I had created, not the character that I was portraying, but the character that I was talking to, the character that I was there for. Is and, anyone else nodding their head along, mm -hmm. like finding these yes. where you've done this, where you're, you, you do, you go to a deep place. Jen is phenomenal at articulating her, her past and where, where, you know, how it brings her to this place. But I know I've done it. Same. Yeah. And I, I find this lives. so interesting, Jen, because I think we all do this to some extent. Mm -hmm. We, we think that we're being vulnerable and, uh, you know, connecting with a character and emoting and doing all those things that actors are supposed to do. Right. But, you know, unless we've really dealt with the things that, um, bring us those authentic emotions in real life, we may be without realizing that without realizing it, squashing those true genuine emotions down. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I find that really fascinating. I just tying into what, um, your, you know, your story and what we were, what we were just talking about just there. I, I wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about why you think it's important that we empower ourselves as talent with these tools to, um, like you say, make your baggage your bitch, right? Um, why is that important? Can you speak a little bit to that? I believe it's important, not just as if we seek sort of the back door of it through performance, it does have the potential to accidentally lead to happiness and the, the ability to not only tap into these places and change the impact that these things may have had on us at the time. But realizing that, wait, okay, wait a minute, this, this isn't reaching back from my past and controlling and influencing and dictating a lot of the choices or mindsets, mentalities, the, our, our inner monologues. Once these things get replaced with our own choices and being able to reach in and utilize them at, our, at will, then they become ours. And the level of empowerment that can spring from that gives us the, the opportunity to see other things from different perspectives, to, to realize that not just as a performer do we have permission to work 
inside of an authentic realm, but it's an imperative because to do anything other than what we do, there's a level of arrogance behind that. that we don't actually control things beyond our own performance. So that that permissive state can and I think inherently does trickle into other places in our lives. And we start, we can, we can, we have the power to start seeing things differently and choosing what motivates our decisions and the way we feel about ourselves. And once we are our own empowered and authentic selves, we can be kind of unstoppable because we're pretty amazing as human animals. And it, it's okay to be crazy as long as we're okay with it. And it's not the toxic sort of crazy, <laughs> the the stuff that makes us sick, you know? So one of the things that had been brought up when um, we initially were talking about um, interviewing you as um, part of our clubhouse today. And I just thought it was absolutely a fascinating um, kind of addition to this conversation outside of empowerment. Certainly as women, um, one of the things that unfortunately becomes kind of inherent in nature to us is to apologize a lot, even when we don't do anything wrong. And I mm -hmm. work with my daughter, Eleanor, all the time. She'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry, mom. And I'm like, did you do something wrong? Please don't apologize. You know, own, own your actions. If you made a mistake, if you did something wrong, then you apologize. But one of the things, and I think it was AB who had mentioned it and you said, and you gave an example now, and this is a bit hearsay, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> you were talking about like, when you're emailing people or like where, where you're almost um, tentative, where you're not empowered, where you're not owning, owning your actions, that you're finding that you're apologizing like, oh, I hope I'm not bothering you and mm -hmm. kind of almost backstepping um, yeah. versus, and I tell, and I say this, I've done TikToks on it. I've done YouTube videos where I say, please view yourself as an asset. You're the thing they need, not the inconvenience. But I'd love for you to give the Jen Henry version <laughs> of, own it. Quit apologizing. You know, be the asset. Good. And being the asset only also to ourselves. I, a lot of people, I believe, deep down are raised, um, especially or at the very least, our generation, um, raised, saddled with the concept or notion that everything we are, everything we do, everything we need is in some way, shape or form an inconvenience or a burden on somebody else. Uh, moreover, anything that we accomplish or something that is a success for us is the, the byproduct of somebody else's effort. So yes. when we, when we come up and, and through now that's not to be confused with, we don't do things alone. I mean, everything you know, so much as a group effort, but just the notion that there is no credit to, to oneself only you, you have things because you're somebody's charity. You know, they felt sorry for you. Uh, you're their burden or they helped you and it was an inconvenience. So that's, it's, that's different from gratitude that you give them. You feel beholden and that draws back to our self-worth. And we don't feel worthy of the time people have given us, or we feel a sense of apology of, oh, geez, I've just sapped this person's time, or I'm bothering this person, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I don't want to. And the thing is, when we allow ourselves to live in that headspace, we're assuming that we have control over somebody else's time management. I don't know about you, but I'm not important enough in somebody else's realm to dictate how they spend their time. And I yeah. didn't realize it until somebody said it to me one day. And I'm like, what? Why are, you know. This, I am really, really bad at this. And I am just excited to have this conversation because it's like, 
what is, where's the line between being overly apologetic and giving good customer service, right? You send an email to someone saying, Hey, uh, I know it's been a few days since you wrote me. Um, you've been in the queue and I'm only now, you know, getting to you. It's like, how honest should you be? Um, to foster, you know, a good open relationship. And like you said, no, you're not in, in control of someone else's time. You're in control of your own time. But I guess I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, the line between good customer service and going too far and making yourself look like you're not a professional or coming off as uh, wishy-washy or bendy. Okay. So yeah. what's the difference between in taking that particular scenario? What's the difference between, hey, thanks for your patience. And then the statement versus, hey, I'm really sorry. I had you in queue. I've been really busy. Because when we say the the latter of those things, what we are genuinely saying is to to this client is I have not prioritized you. Instead, just simply, it, 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 instead of transferring our guilt in in not getting back to somebody as if as effectively or efficiently as we would have preferred, uh-huh. just simply, hey, thank you for your patience. Uh-huh. This is this is the the whatever. Um, what thanking about as opposed to apologizing for? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good example of using those words like thank you instead of I'm sorry. Thank you for mm-hmm. your patience. Thank you for your whatever X, Y, Z. Thank you for, for your time. Work. Thank you for effort. Right. Mm-hmm. Thank you for uh, your your thoroughness or whatever other mm-hmm. word you might, you know, if someone caught a mistake and you have to do a pickup, whatever it might be. Right. But um, I'm going to ask an off script question, you guys, because I'm I'm curious about your thoughts. What what do you do when you when you do make an honest mistake in a session or in the moment that I feel deserves a real apology? Like, um, I can't think of a good example, but maybe, you know, you forgot you had someone coming over and the doorbell rang. Right. Like, oh, or somebody walks in and, or your dog, I mean, I guess your dog barking is kind of beyond your control. Something that's within your control happens. You forget, Do to, you tu- say, you forget to turn your furnace off and it kicks on in the middle of session. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or any of those human things. Cause I feel, I, I apologize a lot and I'm getting better about it, but I do feel deep into my bones that there are times that we need to, especially as moms set an example for our kids, that mm-hmm. there are times when we should apologize, when we should be humble enough to be like, I'm sorry for this. So what are your thoughts and put me in my place if you wish. I, I would never put you in your place. And, 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 Unless you just or, happen to really like chocolate and thrones, because as far as I'm concerned, that's where your place is <laughs> in, in a throne with it. with your favorite chocolates. Oh um, I love it. It, it, it. As is as is the case with this all, really. It, it's, I guess, for me now, and this is all understand that everything I say largely comes from a place of hindsight, um, because this is now, and I can only identify with what you're saying, because yeah, I get that, (laughs) you know, um, I, I feel in the moment and and keep in mind too, especially when we're in a session, what bleeds into our audio? We can't, you know, when you talk about what's a disservice to our clients or our buyers or our directors, it's a far greater disservice to have that angst and embarrassment or a, a, apology bleed into the next line. And so we have to instantly weigh out, I, I feel, how important is it? Whether you have to go to the bathroom real quickly or, oh, geez, the, the heater kicked on. Yeah, give me just uh, one second, run off, turn that up, um, and make a little joke out of it, and move on. Because if we, just like we talk about finding the places of authenticity to emote things that are appropriate to a moment, a piece of copy, and a piece of copy, every piece of copy is exactly that. 
It is a moment that we're creating. So if we drag our crap into that moment, it's going to be audible. It's going to be palpable. Maybe they can't put their finger on it, but it's not going to resonate the same because we've brought the in with it. Unless you are super capable of instantly dropping it back at the door. But if you're on your mic, apologizing to the to the ninth degree, that shouldn't have been an odd analogy to stick in there, apologizing, then you're bringing that into your space. And your space, their space, that moment, that bubble that you're creating, none of that crap belongs in there. It's super, super simple. Yeah, my furnace turned on. Oh, Amazon. What are you going to do? Be right back. Um, you know, and then you get to your door, say, hey, in a session, have a seat. There's the fridge. I'll be right up. It, you serve it, drinks to your Amazon guy? Always. I wish I did the same thing. I'm coming to your house. Hey, I'm going to interrupt really, really quick. This is, oh my gosh, you're just so many amazing things coming on right now. And I'm, I'm I don't really have a script, this. by the way. Well, she, no. said, she says to go off script. I'm like, I, I don't have a script. No, we, we like to put together. <laughs> this is what makes our clubhouse a little bit unique. I love and it, it, man. it keeps, yeah, it, it does help keep us on track, but it also are, we have a lot of feedback from our um, listeners. They provide us with questions like, Oh, Hey, can you bring this up? And so we just try to kind of have a loose guideline because we get so much information just like we are right now. So everybody, we're at the half hour mark. Uh, we're going to do a quick room reset. If you've just joined us, we are VO booth besties. Our goal is to help working voice actors get their answers, questions, get their answers to their most important questions <laughs> from pros who know. And tonight we are joined by the awesome Jen Henry and you rock, we're, man. Ah, we're really discussing, we're, we're, we're getting deep today. We're really discussing, um, a topic although coming more towards the light is still not talked about enough. And that really is our mental health. Um, it's impact in the booth. And um, I'm just going to start where Amy left off when you find yourself um, disrupted, um, possibly during a session or in an audition. And that disruption, based on how you choose to react, mm -hmm. whether you go into a submissive place, whether you go to a place of, you know, F-U-C-K, <laughs> or if you go to a place of, oh, golly, I can't believe that just happened. Whatever you choose to do, that now carries over to what happens next. So right. Jen has been doing a wonderful job really, you know, tying this in. How can we take experiences from our past in, in, in being able to incorporate those, excuse me, incorporate those into our experiences now Um character development, which is where I'd like to go next. So Jen, can you kind of talk about, you You gave a great um, story earlier of how you approached a character, because I know you do a lot of character work too. And I think AB, you've done character work with her, right? Yes. Um, I made her of. be a bridge troll. She did. So why don't, why don't you guys, I know I'm going to, we're kind of taking a little right turn, but I still think it's all connected because AB, you were reluctant. Yes. You were not mentally, emotionally in a place where you had confidence, where you had that, you know, where you were in that place of like, I don't know that I want to try this. I don't know that I'm going to be successful at it. So what did Jen encourage you to do? Like, what did that look like? How did that work, guys? Well, I'll tell you my mindset coming in. Um, I wanted to coach with Jen. Uh, I was making a corporate narration demo. Mm -hmm. And Jen was going to coach me with that, right? So I'm thinking, we're going to talk corporate. And she starts out with, read this script like a bridge troll. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I'm not a character. I'm not a character actress. And I said, I actually, I think I actually said the words, words I don't do characters. So she's like, mm -hmm. why not? And it was, and we'll get to wh what that looked like. But in that moment, I was telling myself a story about what I was capable of. And I had limited myself based on my knowledge of what I would thought I was capable of. And Jen took me to a place where she helped me realize 
I'm, I'm capable of so much more than I believed. And it was by making me be a bridge troll. And I had at first at it and didn't, could not, and I was probably pretty terrible at it at the end too, but I had fun. And that was, that was, that's the beauty of the whole exercise and understand that I didn't give you copy conducive. I was, I was bullying her into, um, reading corporate narration as a bridge troll. Right. So, so it's not like we were actually building character work outside of reaching beyond a place that was comfortable for you. And, and that, that was my goal. You expressed that things felt same. And so a great way to break same is to do something very different. I know when I say the words, it just seems so obvious. Also, a lot of people don't expect to coach with corporate copy as a bridge troll. And, (laughs) and just the, the notion of shattering concepts of what we do, what we can do, what places we can take ourselves and in breaking out of signature mindsets. Now, signature mindsets can be great. They're great for streamlining performance. You start to identify this and that. Um, everything we do as a character, because, and if you know me, I'm sure you've heard me say it a hundred times. I can love you so much. My sister, for example, I love my sister so much. I will never, ever, ever care what kind of butter she buys. <laughs> but I better find somebody inside who does. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to deliver that copy. I'm not going to be able to create that moment, put out that experience in a way that sounds authentic. And people are done with BS. Um, the, the announcer space still certainly exists. It is not as prevalent as it once was. So stepping outside of mental places that feel very safe to us don't necessarily serve us well. Does that mean that you're going to do an audition for a piece of corporate narration and sound like a big bridge troll? No. I hope not. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I, I wouldn't see that working out for you. But to see you, Alicia, go from an expression of, this woman is nuts. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Why are you making me read this like a bridge troll? To the end where you're just having fun and it translated. Screw the words. Just do the thing. and. You know, inside of an hour, it was an entirely different read. And it's just, I'm a dork for process. And sometimes the process starts as a bridge troll. So, Jen, the thing that I hear happening here, too, is Alicia may not, and I know this happens for many people, and Amy, I'm not sure what your experience is, but until you also have that outside source challenging you, whether it's a co I know I challenge Alicia every day. She talks to me. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Yeah. I mean, but until, so I think a lot of times you don't, you, it's a, you don't know what you don't know because maybe you haven't worked. You, you, a, you're comfortable. You hit the nail on the head when you said it's just very easy to stay in our comfortable place. But Mm -hmm. the minute you tell me I got to be a bridge tool, but I imagine there's many people in the room today who have never been told, try this as a bridge troll or try to challenge you in a way that that makes you want to pee your pants with insecurity. You probably have butterflies in your stomach and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, like and on all of a sudden, every all of your emotions are being challenged. Mm-hmm. But then you come through on the other side. So how how important is it to surround yourself with people who challenge you or to find a coach or to find an accountability group or whatever it looks like to get you out of your comfort zone can you speak to that for me personally i believe it's imperative um just the the notion a lot of it's permissive i think because 
especially with so many different walks that that we all come from. You know, if we grew up in L.A., if we grew up in in the VO industry, if if we all grew up in particular performance driven um, circumstances and then followed that along, then that's one thing. It's rare. I, I have a dear friend who grew up in a performance family and became an educator. They they set they sort of reframed their own thing and stuck themselves in it because it was safe. And they're an unbelievably good performer when they let themselves like blow you away. I believe permission, self-permission, somebody kicking your butt into remembering you not only have permission, but it's a demand on you creatively to reach past and to use the, the, the corny, you know, color outside of the lines, so to speak. Um, we, we grow up with consequences for coloring outside of the lines to one degree, varying degrees. It could be just as simple as you colored outside of the lines. There's an acknowledgement. The way we're wired is the way we internalize that process. Um, it seems to me that if there was a more significant emotional consequence for coloring outside of the physical lines, once they taught us how to make a square and it wasn't good enough when we colored outside of those lines or we made the sky green and the, the grass blue and there was an emotional consequence or Mm -hmm. physical consequence for coloring outside of those lines as adults we need to learn to give our not only give ourselves permission but to push ourselves past those lines jen i'm so happy that you're saying that because i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you oh no you you have to interrupt me (laughs) and we're talking about permission so i'm not going to ask permission to jump in because right yeah exactly i'm I'm really this is just all so resonating with me you know nj said you don't know what you don't know. So sometimes you might need a coach to guide you, you know, toward your bridge troll. And yet what you're saying is so true that sometimes I believe sometimes we actually do know what we think we don't know, Mm -hmm. or we've been told that before we've been, for me personally, I know I've been told many times in the past, uh, certain ways to get out of my own way or to find, you know, that authenticity or whatever it is. I know about that bridge troll. I've done that bridge troll exercise many times in my life and I've forgotten and mm-hmm. I continue to forget. It's like you're saying about coloring outside the lines, right? We we have that emotional connection to that one experience that maybe harmed us in some way. And we, we without really realizing, I, I think, um, sometimes don't allow ourselves permission to do what we know we could do or we should do, right? We have to, yeah, because we don't know what the consequences are on the other side. And in in a way, <clears throat> that's sort of where the arrogance comes in because we, you don't know you're coloring outside of the lines unless you have somebody. I, I used finger paint. As a matter of fact, I um, at some events, I host finger painting sessions for adults and kids so kids don't forget and so adults can remember just the process of surrendering to something without trying to make it look like something without putting demands on that muse and just exploring like we did when we were little the way the paint feels between your fingers the way paint smells and just letting it go and do its own thing without a preconceived notion of where it needs to go. That's where we sort of get ourselves into trouble because we are conditioned for consequence. So we try to do things right. Well, when you're finger painting, there's not supposed to be a right answer. There's just chilling with paint and doing the thing and letting it happen. And so many of us get behind the mic and in deciding that we should know what a casting director or a buyer is listening for, what they want. We, in turn, try to produce it right. 
the thing is, that's, it's not our job. I would say that's what we discovered when we did our audition challenge. Um, and we heard 300 auditions that sounded almost identical because yeah. we were all trying to fit inside the lines. Yep. We all had this idea of what it's supposed mm-hmm. to sound like. And, and our, and I say me, cause I, I say we, because I submitted an audition too and found myself falling into same, some of the same patterns. And it is, it's, we talk about bringing our baggage along with us and making it our own. But we also have to let go of the fences that we carry with us too, the things that right. hold us in, the mm-hmm. walls that, that restrict us. And so we've got to know who we are and bring it to the table, but let go of the things that hold us back. And that's a twofold, that's a twofold mission. And it's important. Oh, there's so, oh it has so many folds. It's like, it, it's like an origami duck. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> there's just so many folds and so many facets. And that's, that's why I, when I, when I talk about it, I caution people to not get ahead of themselves because it's not beneficial or safe. I think in a lot of cases to run into our mental closet and start pulling the bags down and dumping them out in the middle of the floor to dance around in them because some of them are sacred. I mean, there's, there are some things that just need to be worked out or worked through in many, many, in a, in a professional environment. I like what Chris McGinnis says in the comments. He says, voiceover is actually a boon to my mental health. When your Mm -hmm. own personal life has some turmoil, escaping into the person needed for your gig can really help. (laughs) But he says, yeah, he says it shouldn't be your only coping mechanism, but it sure can provide enough room for a breath. And that's a great point that we can kind of escape into that person for a little bit. And have a conversation with that person sometimes. Because here we have, we've indulged a sense of, of a picture where not to, it sounds like mockery if I use the expression creating a puppet, but in, in, in a very real sense, when we utilize these characters to escape, we're also, at least in that moment, pulling it out of our head. And putting it in front of us. And like the little girl that was sitting in that, that cargo hold. Make make peace with it. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. And in, in that moment that we hold it and it's ours. And we can put that pain or that trauma or that anger that you know whatever it is that we are able to benefit that character it also sort of gives us an opportunity to look at it from outside of ourselves you know and again depending on what the circumstances are it's not okay to look too hard not all of us are prepared at any given point in time but certainly myself included i'm i mean i'm barely qualified to be a freaking voiceover i'm not remotely qualified to, you know, act in any sort of a, a therapeutic sense. These are just things that have made a process of becoming my own vessel and filling that vessel with things that are of benefit to me now moving forward and pushing out old operating systems that just don't don't serve me anymore. And you're, you're taking me right to my final point. We're going to have Amy um, ask you some questions, but it's just like what I'm going to use Amy as an example where she, um, well, well, we're not just Amy, we're all growing. We're all learning. We're all trying to just what you said. It's like, what, what, what I want to say though is, and, and I listened to your, um, um, talk when, we were in Atlanta and and my biggest takeaway, and I want to say this to everybody listening too: forgive yourself, forgive yeah. yourself, give yourself some grace. So, you know, we talk about what do I do if I make a mistake and I apologize? Okay, then, then do that and then move on. Don't live in it. Don't let it consume you. If you had a, an experience in the past and you're like, you know what, I, I, I'd actually don't want to I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to use that, whatever. So, so let that, so, so you have to forgive, you have to be okay with going, I don't want to do that. And, and just give yourself grace. And I just think that is something we, and this is everybody, men, women, otherwise, you know, we, we beat ourselves up 
for the lack of perfectionism, for for even being secure, for being vulnerable. How many times do we go, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have shared that, or I'm sorry, I, I hope I didn't bring everybody down. Like, no, give yourself that <laughs> grace. Own where you're at, own what's, you know, own your past and, you know, figure out who you want to be at the present. And I think, Jen, the last thing I'd like you to speak to is this is not a light switch. No, <laughs> no, 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 there's, I mean, <laughs> Maybe some people can catch lightning in a bottle, but for me, it it certainly wasn't. And it's it's an ongoing thing because the first there's sort of just little realizations of, hmm, oh, okay, yeah, so there's that. Um, and and I, I don't want to be as trite as to say exercises to do. But mindfulness and simply being in a moment and and making a choice, you spill something in your lap, okay? You get to choose how, the impact it's going to have on that moment. And you can go, oh, well, crap. Or you can freak out. Or you can do this. Or you can do that. But if we keep things into perspective, how important is it? I'm not going to ruin my day over spilling coffee in my lap. Um, unless it, you know, maybe is worth $27 million. And that's a different conversation. But every moment that we're in is immutably hinged to the one before it. So it stands to reason that the choices we make about how we will react and respond to our environment and the people in it and the circumstances that create it in any given moment impact the moments that and that spreads out that doesn't mean that you walk around with pom-poms and a trail of glitter behind you at all because i'm kind of a snarky bitch if you haven't noticed i've never intentionally hurt somebody and having the power to not to choose to not hurt myself is the greatest thing that I have ever had permission to stop hurting myself because there's a lot of dead people a lot of people from estranged that I allowed to continue to hurt me through me you know people that don't exist in my you know immediate realm yet experiences with them sort of dissociatively guided my path because of just what happens with our wiring inherently i think so giving myself permission and demanding that i no longer hurt myself just makes the impact of every moment forward a little bit different and a little bit better. It's all baby steps. It's all one moment and one choice at a time. And they all build mm -hmm. on each other. Ah, oh, brilliance, brilliance. Everyone in the audience is clapping, hooraying, oh. cheering for you. I can hear it. Um, Jen, thank you so much for your wisdom thank and your you. vulnerability you. and your intelligence and your emotional intelligence. Don't make me cry. Don't. don't it's just. It's such don't, a treat. Don't you're. Don't you. Don't you. Don't. You, don't <laughs> I don't have that power. You have to give yourself permission to cry. <laughs> See, I or learned a little something today. Or the win. <laughs> um. Well, that was a lot of heavy vulnerability. Um. We like to end with something a little more fun. We like to ask our guests three just for fun questions. And we'd like to ask you what singer, band, or composer you are enjoying these days. Um, I always love Maynard James Keenan um, of Tool and Pussifer and Perfect Circle. Uh, my son, T1, uh, composes and rearranges music. And of course the 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 classics but i i just i love instrumental music too uh anything on youtube that i find that is cinematic battle music you know all, all the things in the fantasy games because 
I don't know. I like mentally I'm seven feet. I'm a seven foot tall barbarian woman. So it, it just, it plays to that level of empowerment. I think. Oh, I love that. Okay. What podcast have you been listening to lately or podcasts? I have to be honest. I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. It has a lot to do with, um, my attention span. I think I don't, I don't do really healthy things like um, walk. So I don't, I don't create, I don't create spaces for myself to to put to put those to put those in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have a list though. Oh, I just completely lied to you. I well, just, what else is no? Well, I know, right? It's it's a thing. So. Um, Jack Septicai and um, Ethan uh, Cranks uh, Games Play Play Games just started a podcast. They had their very first episode the other day um, called Brain Leaks. So if you mm, I've are heard of that in, one, if if you're it's brand new. If you're into gaming, if you're into particular YouTubers, if if you uh, dig Jack Septicai, Markiplier, um, Ethan uh, uh, Cranks Game. Uh, they just started a new podcast called Brain Leaks, and it's so far it's beautiful, chaotic energy because both of them have ADHD, and uh, mm. just sort of well, we'll see how we'll see where it goes. But to me, I saw people in comments saying this is something about chaotic energy, and I'm like, hey, this feels perfectly comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Chaos. Have you gotten past the first five minutes? I I did, and maybe that's it. Yay. Maybe that's. The key for me is that I lock in mm. when I don't when I don't feel structure. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't that's know. so interesting. Oh, I love it. Okay, and lastly, what is your favorite dessert? And you don't, you know what? We don't have limits here today, so you don't need to pick just one. My current obsession is yogurt with peanut butter, or peanut butter with yogurt. I'm I'm. However, I guess it just I guess it just depends on how it comes out of the jar. Um, ultimately, if I'm out someplace, it, I love genuinely fresh fruit, like fresh berries, with uh, creme fraiche. I I love that. Oh, and Diana Birdsall's lemon bars and ottoman cake. Oh, now you're gone and got me started. Now we're started. Okay, okay. well. So I love all the things. <laughs> Berries with creme fraiche. Creme fraiche? Creme fraiche? That sounds... Fresh, fresh. That yeah. sounds delicious. And like fresh picked, fresh picked berries. Not mm. just, hey, we got these from the purveyor today, but... Do you remember the old commercial? Berries and cream, berries and cream. I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. <laughs> Maybe I'm too old. I the little let. He's like a little leprechaun. I think it's a Skittles commercial. Yeah. Now I'm gonna think of that every time I see you. Hey, there are people who have thought worse upon seeing me. I'll take it. (laughs) Well, thanks again for joining us, Jen. You were amazing. Um, And thanks to all of you in the audience for joining us, and thank you for engaging in the chat. You know, one of the key things about Via Booth Besties is we're trying to build community. And when we have talks like this, when we have engagement in the chat, when you come over to our Facebook group and we're able to, you know, share stories and funny videos. Okay, I share the funny videos. But anyway, when we're able to interact with one another and and learn together and grow together, that's really what we're trying to do. And I can say as a whole, the voiceover community does that to support each other as well. But that's really one of our goals here. So we're so glad you showed up and that you're taking care of one another. Um, We want to remind everyone that VO Booth Besties is live two days a week. We invite you to join us on Monday nights, 5 p.m. Pacific. And we also are continuing our VO 101 series on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. All right, over to you, A.B. Awesome. Uh, Coming up on Thursday, we're going to be discussing online casting sites and understanding how to use them, rates, usage, product terms, 
And we also would love for you to connect with each of us on LinkedIn and join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group if you're not a part of it and comment and post. We would love engagement. Uh, replays are all available to listen to on our website. So be sure to check them out on boothbesties.com, on YouTube podcasts, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. If you're a podcast listener, be sure to share your comments and like and subscribe. And we love you all. Good night. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. Video Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.